Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. How do men and women shape history? Do human values have a role in the writing of history? At a time when the so-called new Mormon history appears to be running its course, maybe time to rethink our approaches. And uh, that is according to Ronald Walker. Uh, he is a professional historian, lives in Salt Lake City, is a professor of history emeritus at Brigham Young University, author of several books. And uh, he has more coming out, he's working on. He's giving the 20th annual Leonard J. Arrington Mormon History Lecture. That'll be happening uh, tonight at 7 o'clock in the Logan LDS Tabernacle. His talk is entitled Heroes and Hero Worship, Brigham Young and the Utah War. And we welcome in uh, Ronald Walker on the line from uh, Salt Lake City. Welcome to the program. I am so excited to be with you. Hi, Tom. Hi. And, and uh, can you hear me okay? There, there was some concern. I can, yeah. Great. I, I Great. think so. That's good. That's good. I have with us, uh, have, have with me in studio as well, Brad Cole, Associate Dean of Special Collections and Archives at uh, Utah State University. Welcome in. And uh, so you'll uh, feel free to jump in, but uh, mainly you'll be giving the particulars of the Arrington okay, Lecture. Sure. Uh, well, really I'm excited. hoping Brad uh, will certainly we can't hardly believe tonight's whatever. the 20th anniversary of the Leonard Arrington Mormon History Lecture. And as Tom said, it'll be at uh, 7 o'clock at the LDS Tabernacle, and it's free to the public. And we also like to plug the fact that we do have a uh, student writing award competition Students that attend the lecture, they must attend, can pick up a uh, competition sheet. And if they write a 2,500-word essay and uh, submit it by the end of the semester, they're eligible to win a uh, $1,000 first-place prize and $750 for second and $250 for third. Wow. So that's a, that's a, not bad. a good uh, deal for a competition. I'm not eligible, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. Are you a student? I'm no. not a student, no. Okay, <laughs> great. That's great. Uh, I'll have you, Brad, uh, uh, find your headphones there. I should have had you put these on. It's under the table there. That's how you'll be able to hear uh, Professor Walker. Uh, so, Ronald Walker, uh, and by the way, I should mention that um, you uh, have been recognized several times with Mormon History Association. You are a past president of Mormon History Association. Upcoming biographies of Brigham Young, Heber J. Grant, and some other works that we'll mention as as we uh, as we go along. Um, I, I want to, uh, to maybe have you talk first about the uh, new Mormon history. You say it appears to be running its course. Talk to well, me about that. at least to some degree. You know, um... um I'm hesitant to say too much on that because uh, Leonard Arrington, of course, was the great founding father of of the New Mormon History Movement, and uh, he was much more than that to me personally. Uh, he was a mentor and he was a friend, and um, I uh, I love uh, Leonard in his memory. But uh, you know. Uh, when we started this thing, and I certainly was a, a, a proponent of the new Mormon history, we were trying to navigate between uh, the old history writing, where so much of it was devotion and apology on one hand, and on the other hand, it was uh, uh, trying to avoid the scientific, non-religion movements at the time. So I think as we wrote, we were extremely careful not to offend, but to write in the middle 
of those two things, apology and uh, anti-religion. And one of the questions that I'm going to raise tonight is, uh, is there a time to, is it time to maybe rethink some of that and instill some really basic human values back into our writing of history? So I'm going to play with that a little tonight. Hmm. So you're not, I'm trying to understand, you're not suggesting that, uh, that, that, uh, Mormon history go to one or the other of those two poles, again, away from that middle way, what are you suggesting? Well, you know, um, you read the great literature of the past, and um, until, you know, the last 40 or 50 years, the great books talked about such human values as courage and... uh, uh, honor, um, uh, even a belief that there might be uh, a purpose to life, uh, a sense of providence. I'm going to just sort of think my way through about um, uh, how we might raise some of those values, some of the great traditional values, not only of... um, the uh, Jewish Christian culture, but really that they're universal values, and I see a lot of those those things missing, some of those virtues missing in the way we write academic history today, and I think the way many of us wrote the New Mormon history. Hmm. So, uh, I guess are you talking about? Um maybe some of that history was a little dry missing some of the you know some of those those emphasizing some of those virtues because on the other side you could uh certainly get attacked for you know hagiography and and the like if you if you Yeah, try I to don't go think anyone is talking about that. The, uh, okay. The um the praise of the saints so to speak that uh, befuddled uh medieval history. But I think the tone of the New Mormon history was a little passive and detached. And um, I think it might be time to think about how we might um, make it uh, um, breathe a little more. Are there right? Is there such a thing as right and wrong in uh, in uh, in contemporary society? We we have made the word judgmental a pejorative, and uh, any time anyone starts to make judgments, we say, "Hey, whoa." <laughs> But I think sometimes you can make judgments in the writing of history, and they involve uh, how ordinary people react to their situation. Do they react with courage? Do they uh, react uh, with integrity? Uh, So 
So anyway, I'm going to play around with some of that. We'll see how far it goes. All right. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about some of that as well. Of course, uh, much of our audience will not be able to be at the, at the lecture, so maybe we can give sure. them a, a taste of that and uh, get the full lecture. You'll have to come uh, tonight, uh, the uh, 20th Annual Leonard J. Arrington Mormon History Lecture. Uh, the presenter uh, tonight in Logan is Ronald W. Walker, professional historian in Salt Lake City, professor of history emeritus at Brigham Young uh, University. So you, you're going to talk about, you say in your, uh, your abstract here, that... Uh, Setting this up, we've talked about so far, uh, the, trying to put human values uh, back into a little more emphasis in that writing of history. You say the Utah War is an ideal opportunity to test these suppositions. Uh, so why, why is the Utah War ideal for this? Well, yeah, I really think it is. Um, it would be hard to find on the historical stage more interesting characters than you have... Um, during this uh, this Utah War episode, and I think most of your audience will remember this is a time in the late 1850s when, due to controversy between the Mormons out west and uh, uh, officials in Washington, um, there was a breakdown in um, in communications. Uh, and the government sent out uh, uh, 2,000 troops to Utah. Um, and so you have this great, you know, you have the questions of war and peace involved here. What, what, does, a, what does an individual, how does an individual respond to the question of war and peace? When is it right to fight? When is it right to submit? Uh, when should an individual be a pacifist? Uh, what kind of wars can a Christian involve himself in, or for that matter, any any man of of, uh, of principle? So here you have this great uh, this great story of um, the most basic human question: uh, When do you fight? When do you not? So that's part of the thing that draws me to the Utah War. But in addition to the great issues that it raises, um, you have on the historical stage these wonderful, uh, colorful uh, figures that are working sometimes in concert with each other, sometimes they're opposed to each other, it would be hard to find a collection of these um, protagonists in uh, any other segment of uh, 19th century Utah history, maybe even in the entire uh, flow of the history of Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about some of those people tonight, some of these great uh, larger-than-life people. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll uh, ask Ronald Walker to, to tell us on this program uh, some of those stories, some of those people, and uh, some of the issues here with the, with the Utah War. He's already raised uh, a very important one, and I'll, I'll ask him to maybe draw some parallels to today. He says, the Utah War asks an important moral question, when and why should men and women fight a war? Uh, some of those, uh, many of these questions will be uh, part of the uh, 
Leonard J. Errington Mormon History Lecture, 20th Annual, and it's in Logan uh, tonight. So before the break, uh, Brad Cole, uh, give us the particulars again when we come back uh, more on the Utah War. Uh, thanks, Tom. Again, the uh, lectures tonight at the Logan LDS Tabernacle in downtown Logan at 7 p.m. It's free to the public. And we also sponsor a student writing award competition. Uh, students that uh, come to the lecture and pick up an entry form are eligible to uh, write a 2,500-word nonfiction essay reflecting on the lecture. And we have uh, some pretty generous uh, cash prizes for the winners that are awarded in uh, February. Very good. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with Ronald Walker. The, the topic is Heroes and Hero Worship, Brigham Young and the Utah War. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Humanities Council, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement in the humanities. Online at utahhumanities.org. On the next Humankind, best-selling author David Allen goes from clearing your desk to clearing your mind. I'm a guy who loves freedom, who hates wasted time and energy, likes to be freed up to focus on the things I like to focus on and not be distracted. Some practical ideas for anyone feeling overloaded. Next time on Humankind. Thursday night at 8.30 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest today is Ronald Walker. He is a professional historian living in Salt Lake City. He's a professor of history emeritus at the Brigham Young University. His current writing projects include biographies of Brigham Young and Heber J. Grant, a documentary collection of letters exchanged between Brigham Young and Thomas Kane, a collection of documents dealing with Brigham Young and the Indians, and a history of the Utah War. And uh, apropos of that, uh, he is giving a lecture. It's the 20th Annual Leonard J. Arrington Mormon History Lecture. It's titled Heroes and Hero Worship, Brigham Young and the Utah War. That's 7 o'clock tonight in the Logan LDS Tabernacle downtown. Uh, Logan, you're welcome to join this conversation at 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. You can uh, join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com upraxcess at gmail.com, and we are on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. I also have with me in studio Brad Cole, Associate Dean of Special Collections and Archives at Utah State University. And uh, Professor Walker says, uh, asks, how do men and women shape history? Do human values have a role in the writing of history? He says, the Utah War is an ideal opportunity to test a, a supposition that, that uh, the use of narrative biography and expression of human values can bring new understanding to Utah and Mormon history. So, uh, Professor, I wonder if you wouldn't mind uh, jumping in a little more detail to, to the Utah War. Tell me uh, about, uh, you know, uh, some of these colorful characters that you're going to talk about uh, tonight. Well, we're going to focus on, uh, on three, uh, especially. Uh, and, of course, others will uh, walk in and out uh, uh, during our discussion, enter the... Uh, entered the discussion, but uh, the three that we want to talk about are uh, uh, Thomas Kane, and we can introduce each one of these things, each one of these uh, 
these men in, in more detail as you'd like. Uh, Alfred Cumming would be a second one. And, of course, uh, our primary focus this evening will be the Mormon uh, leader, uh, Brigham Young. Each one of these three uh, were absolutely fascinating people. And I would like to spend some time talking about their contributions to uh, uh, peace um, and how they wrestled with with um, these values that we've already talked about, uh, such as moderation and restraint and um, even a sense of providence, all three of them. Um, did now we probably need to go by? We need to probably introduce each one of these three, and uh, we can do that at, at your convenience. Right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Right now. Yes, uh, th- that'd be great. I, I probably um, for people who don't know, maybe a, a you know a little more detail on the Utah War. I, I think this started with a, a report the President Buchanan got that uh, that the uh, LDS people were were being disloyal. He sends he sends right. an, an army out. True. Uh, and and uh, I don't know how much time we'll spend with Buchanan tonight, James Buchanan, uh, but he's a fascinating uh, uh, historical character as well. Uh, when he took office, you know, he had the misfortune of being the, the predecessor to uh, uh, the giant of his age, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. But uh, Buchanan was seen as perhaps the most able, experienced man ever to enter the uh, the presidency since uh, George Washington, and that that may seem like a mouthful. But uh, Buchanan had been uh, a congressman, he had been a senator, he had been Secretary of State. Uh, and um, uh, minister to Russia. Um, so he had this towering, towering uh, uh, reputation when he took office. And he himself said that he thought uh, his presidency might equal or surpass Washington. So, but it didn't work out that way at all. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But uh, he was. Uh, Above all, a politician, and he was trying to protect the interests of um, of his political party, which was the Democratic Party of the time. So, um, uh, he does send uh, an army to Utah without any um, forewarning. And... Um, there is no, um, you know, had he sent a message out and said, hey, look, um, we're sending this army out, these are the reasons, and these will be the circumstances. But none of that occurred. In fact, uh, federal authorities stopped the mail to Utah, uh, and the coming of the army with unannounced intentions, the... the uh, embargo of the mail, uh, 
these people in Utah saw these acts as uh, as mortal threats, and you may discount that today. How could that be true? But you know, these people had been pushed around for twenty years, and uh, if they weren't paranoid, they had every right to be. Mm-hmm. And so, when the announcement was made that these uh, soldiers were on the uh, the transcontinental road. Brigham Young, the leader of the Mormons, and other churchmen were just unnerved. Um, They thought that this would be uh, another and perhaps a culminating uh, persecution. So that's the background. You know, um, parallel universes really existed between Utah and uh, and Washington. Uh, And when I say that what I mean is uh, you you don't have swift communications. This was before the telegraph, it was before the railroad, and of course all the other modern devices of communication. So sometimes events would pass in one in Washington or in Utah and it would be six uh, weeks before uh, the other party would learn about them. So uh, all these old issues of persecution and uh, mistrust um, were wrapped in this uh, this this fog of uh, the lack of communication. All that played a role in uh, what uh, historians have come to call the Utah War. Let me, uh, uh, let's have uh, Brad Cole reintroduce uh, or, or give us the particulars once again. And then we have an email that I want to, uh, I want to uh, run past you, Professor, dealing with uh, Brigham Young and, and his character. And that can maybe get us into talking about Brigham Young. Uh, so, uh, Brad Cole. Okay, thanks, Tom. Uh, again, we're thrilled to have Ron Walker tonight to deliver the 20th Annual Leonard J. Arrington Mormon History Lecture. It's at 7 p.m. at the LDS uh, tabernacle free and open to the public and uh, as I mentioned previously we do have a student writing award competition students need to attend the lecture take notes get an entry form and then uh, uh, provide a 2500 word nonfiction essay by the end of the semester and they're entered into a competition for uh, cash awards and uh, that of course the lecture is tonight 20th annual uh, Leonard J. Arrington, Mormon History Lecture. Ronald Walker, my guest, is the title of his talk, Heroes and Hero Worship, Brigham Young and the Utah War. Um, and you are welcome to join this conversation, if you'd like, at 1-800-826-1495. That's the toll-free number anywhere you're listening, 1-800-826-1495. And we promise today we won't uh, hit you up on our membership drive, which uh, concluded yesterday. Uh, you can email us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. So, uh, Professor Walker, uh, this uh, email has just come in from Dave in Cache Valley. He says, your guest mentions the concept of right and wrong. We know that Brigham Young married several women who were already married to living husbands, such as Zena Huntington, who was married to John Huntington. I'm wondering how your guest feels about this. In other words, how does this behavior on the part of Brigham Young reflect on his, Brigham Young's, character? And Dave says, I ask this because today this type of behavior would almost certainly be condemned as immoral. I think it would be. Um, Young was um, 
to understate things uh, uh, inconsistent. Um, and I think this was part of his genius. Uh, Tom Kane, who was his closest non-LDS friend, um, called him uh, an eccentric genius. And gee, I think if you had two words that would try and uh, summarize the man, it would be uh, those. Um, his abilities and his talents were simply incredible. Um, but he was also eccentric. And he was eccentric in his dress. He was eccentric in some of his... Uh, 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 projects that he embraced... Um, and he certainly pursued a private life that would not be acceptable in terms of today's uh, um, morality. That is the great advantage of having Young as a biographical subject. You know, uh, someone once said the most dreary thing you can have in uh, writing a biography is trying to write a biography of a saint um, because they seem to, to be so bland, you know, and without color. But here you have Brigham Young who did all kinds of unconventional things and things that by today's standards we would consider um, improper. Uh, but I think a biographer has to look at all those things and then step back and try and make some sense of um, who he was. So, yeah, well, uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, his uh, plural marriage, uh, some of the practices there, simply cannot understand unless you take the reader back to the times in which they occurred and try and understand Mormon thought of the time, and then you have to judge him. And I think the historian does have to make some judgments, uh, as I said earlier. But then you judge a man by the atmosphere, um, the environment of his times, and what he was trying to do. Uh, first generation Mormonism was uh, millennial. And there were some unusual things going on. Maybe we can get into some of those mm -hmm. tonight. Uh, I just want to ask you specifically, following up on Dave's question, so uh, what's your judgment as, as a historian, putting uh, Brigham Young in the, in the context of his times? Uh, right. And as Dave said, and you've agreed uh, this would be considered uh, actions that uh, Dave mentions immoral today. What about, what about in his time? Uh, certainly in the East, they would have been considered uh, pejorative, uh, negative. Um, and that was part of the reason that you had this uh, controversy between Utah and and uh, Washington. Um, particularly, there is this strain of Puritan moral, uh, moralism that... Uh, is very uh, strong in, in, in the East in the 1850s, uh, where they saw this as out and out uh, wrong. Brigham thought he was fulfilling divine teaching, and he thought he was uh, 
fulfilling what was expected of him uh, as part of his religious mission. Herein lies the fun of a biographer. <laughs> there are no easy answers here. Uh, there is tension. Um, and that's what makes biography so fun. And I think that's uh, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm led to uh, 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 write a study uh, on Brigham, on President Young, because... Uh, you can have all kinds of fun with these these inherent contradictions and tensions within the man. Uh, I think that's what makes him interesting. You've talked about use use the word inconsistent. Bergen was inconsistent, and you said that was his, that was his genius. Of course, one could say, and often the judgment is, uh, you know, in 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 regular life, uh, an inconsistent person that's not an admirable trait. But but you said it, it's a genius. Well, you see, men who don't um, put their lives with in harmony with the standards of the time, but have this uh, effervescence about them, um, you're going to see contradiction. You're going to see tension within the in, in the person, and um, I think as you step back and look at at Young, you see something really incredible and exceptional taking place. Um, he is not run of the mill. <laughs> I don't know whether he could exist as a. Uh, a church leader in contemporary Mormonism today, simply because of these contradictions and um, inconsistencies, these flashes of genius that were going everywhere. Um, but again, I would say uh, herein lies uh, his interest uh, to uh, um, the biographer. Hmm. I wonder if you, it occurs to me that... I don't think inconsistency hmm. necessarily is a lack I wonder if we if we could um, it, it might be helpful to I don't know if you can select some other figure from history uh, you know maybe to better understand what you're talking about here uh, I think we're in Utah we're we're pretty close to the subject you know and and they're all right. a matter of subjects about Brigham Young and 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 yeah, Mormon history uh, so you, you're talking about the the genius of Brigham Young that he was uh, you know not a I guess a man who didn't follow the conventions of of his time. Can you think of another figure in history that might you might draw a parallel to? Well, therein lies the first three or four words, uh, the relevancy of the three or four words uh, in the title of the lecture, uh, hero and hero worship. Um, those are the words of... Um, Thomas Carlyle, um, and Carlyle was a 19th century leading uh, intellectual figure, and um, Carlyle developed this this theory about uh, 
great individuals moving history. And uh, oh, it's easy to make fun of Car- Carlyle today because he wrote with a very obscure kind of writing style and um, there are all kinds of inconsistencies coming coming off uh, Carlyle himself. But he's a fascinating guy, and he had this theory about great men of history. And he said, you know, these great men move humanity forward. And uh, they are often inconsistent. They are often uneven. They're often without uh, sheen, uh, with uh, great education. Um but they move history forward despite all their contradictions and inconsistencies and values and and um, lack of conventions. So we're going to play a little with Thomas Carlyle tonight. Mm. Uh, Carlyle is say to his uh, these great movers, um, and he, he had a whole list of them. Uh, he talked about uh, Martin Luther, he talked about Napoleon, he talked about um, uh, Shakespeare. But he had these lists of, of, of men of extraordinary talent that moved beyond their age and made a contribution to history. I don't know whether I mentioned Muhammad was another one of his one of his uh, heroes, and uh, so we're going to play a little with Thomas Carlyle's uh, configuration of how history has been affected by these great uh, men that walk across the stage. Um, don't expect consistency from them. Don't expect conventionality from them, uh, but expect tremendous energy and passion and expect uh, uh, an imprint upon their followers. Um, Carlisle would say, for, put, these perspective, put in perspective these inconsistencies and look at the larger picture. So we're going to play a little with Thomas Carlyle tonight. Mm. So this it, it, uh, sounds to me, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it, it, it sounds like you're maybe pushing back a little bit on on a trend over the past, you know, years uh, away from the, uh, you know, hero, great man effect on, on history or toward people's history and, uh, you know, social history, the the, the broad sweep. You're, you're maybe trying to push this a little bit more back toward... Uh, Heroes, great man theory. Um, yeah, absolutely, uh, and and part of that is inborn <laughs> on my part. I am drawn to great characters. I'm interested in in in, in great people. Uh, I love biography, and uh, if there's going to be a central point to the lecture tonight, I want to talk about the role of people in the creation of history. Um, as opposed to uh, uh, lifeless forces, you know, we went, we had this tremendous conversation in the 19th and even 20th centuries about whether 
history is the product of people uh, or whether it's the product of uh, uh, economic and social forces. I think today we agree that probably both affect uh, humankind. But the question, the question that I'm going to raise tonight is the balance. Where at, at moments of importance, like the Utah War, um, my argument is people did count. And I've mentioned already the three men that I want to talk about tonight. Uh, uh, Thomas Kane, and we haven't had a chance to introduce him at all. Uh, Alfred Cumming, we haven't had a chance to talk about him at all. And then Brigham Young. Uh, Alfred Cumming was the newly appointed governor uh, to Utah, and he came with the Army. Uh, Thomas Keene, uh, Philadelphia Blue Blood, reformer. Uh, he leaves his home in Philadelphia in uh, January of 1858, and he comes largely on his own initiative to mediate the dispute uh, between the Mormons and uh, and James Buchanan. So you have these larger-than-life figures on the stage. You have Alfred Cumming, and you've got... Uh, Tom Kane, and then you have Brigham. And then we're going to try and play with all three of these tonight and see how they reacted to these great issues of, uh, of uh, war and peace in Pioneer, Utah, in the year 1858. So that's, that's, that's what we're going to be looking at. All right. Well, we're going to take another break. When we come back more with uh, Ronald Walker, Title of the talk, Heroes and Hero Worship, Brigham Young and the Utah War. It's the 20th Annual Leonard J. Arrington Mormon History Lecture. Before we go to break, uh, Brad Cole, uh, give us the predictors again. Again, uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, the lectures this evening at 7 p.m. at the Logan LDS Tabernacle, downtown Logan. It's free and open to the public. And uh, we also hope that students will turn out. We have a student writing award competition uh, you have to attend lecture and take notes and uh, write a 2,500-word reflective essay on the, on the on the lecture and then enter that at the end of the semester for uh, three uh, sizable cash prizes. So we're, we've, we've done pretty well with the student award in the last few years, and we're looking forward to seeing how this comes out this year. Brad Cole is Associate Dean of Special Collections and Archives at Utah State University. Uh, more with him and with uh, Ronald Walker. Uh, on uh, the Arrington Lecture, Heroes and Hero Worship, Brigham Young and the Utah War, following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Etched Magazine, an artistic expression of life in the Southwest celebrating the desert dwellers, adventure seekers, soul searchers, art lovers, and the culture creators who reside within the grandeur of the great Southwest. More online at etchedmagazine.com. This is folk singer Michael Jonathan. We have a wonderful show for you this week. Gaelic Storm is on the broadcast, and wait do you hear this unusual duo, Billy Strings and Don Julian. Both artists, music and conversation on this week's broadcast of the Woodsongs Old Time Radio. Friday night at 11 on Utah Public Radio.
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have another 10 minutes left in the program. Uh, We're talking with Ronald Walker. He is a professional historian living in Salt Lake City. He's professor of history emeritus at Brigham Young University. He's author of uh, several books, and uh, he has served as a past president of Mormon History Association. His current writing projects include biographies of Brigham Young and Heber J. Grant, documentary collection of letters exchanged between Brigham Young and Thomas Kane, collection of documents dealing with Brigham Young and the Indians, and a history of the Utah War. And he'll be talking about Brigham Young and the Utah War, also uh, Thomas Kane and uh, others. And the title of the talk is Heroes and Hero Worship, Brigham Young and the Utah War. Leonard J. Arrington Mormon History Lecture is free and open to the public. It's happening tonight at 7 o'clock in the Logan LDS Tabernacle in downtown Logan. Uh, so, uh, Ronald Walker, I, uh, maybe to, to, to open this last section of the, uh, the program, um, I'm wondering what you think the role, purpose of biography should be. I, I love biographies. I read a lot of biographies. There's a lot of different styles, and this kind of fits into what you're talking about here. What, what should a biography do? Um, I want to answer that question, but I do need to just squeeze in something here uh, before I do. Uh, my book on uh, uh, the documentary history of of Thomas Kane and Brigham Young, as well as my history of the Utah War, is a co. Uh, authored project with a very, very talented and splendid historian, uh, Matthew J. Grohl. So I don't want to uh, in any way uh, 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 downplay Matt's wonderful, wonderful talents. Uh, he's written just a, recently a very fine, award-winning uh, biography of Thomas Kane. So the question is, what should a biographer do? He should penetrate to the the inner man. He should try and understand all these uh, complexes and turmoils and tensions within the uh, uh, within the person, and uh, try and then understand how this person has uh, influenced. Uh, those around him, um, and how um, he, he has made his imprint uh, on uh, on history. Uh, we're not going to have time to do much with uh, Alfred Cumming. Uh, we're running out of time. We're not going to have time to do much with uh, with Thomas Kane. Both of these men are absolutely fascinating character stu- uh, sketches. Uh, that are so important. Uh, inevitably, we seem to return time and time back to Brigham, uh, to President Young. And uh, let me say this. Uh, he lived in a hidden world within himself. Uh, very few people were granted access to that uh, world. Uh, it's very hard for a biographer to get inside and find out what he's thinking and, and doing, uh, because he's always putting people off at uh, arm's length. Um, you know, there are some people that are very open with their emotions and their feelings. Uh, young, in uh, in, in um, contrast, 
was this man who lived within himself and and uh, and thought and considered and meditated. So it's very hard to get inside the uh, the uh, uh, the inner uh, character of the man. We do have some things that really are very helpful. Uh, and some of your listeners will smile at this, but uh, he dreamed a lot. And he talked to associates about his dreams. And um, I find those fascinating, the dreams that he's having. There must be 50, 60, 70 of them that are recorded. And... Uh, as he tells his dreams, as he recites them, uh, you begin to understand something of his personality. Uh, uh, there is a there is an edge of uh, turmoil and conflict um, in his inner person. He would always say that his greatest enemy was himself. Uh, how he had to somehow tame. The, the beast with it himself. And I think that was a lifelong mission. So why he, while he's fighting the, uh, the troops, the U.S. troops that have come out, uh, he is undergoing also this, this great internal struggle of um, how he should respond. We've mentioned this great question of war and peace. Well, that was one of the struggles within the inner soul of Brigham Young during the uh, Utah War. And I think he sometimes went both ways. There were some times where he was just <laughs> thinking of uh, of uh, taking on the army and, and, and fighting. Uh, there was this combative strength uh, within his uh, personality, which Carlyle would have said, ah, that's part of the great man. You'll see that every time. Uh, but there was also this strain of, uh, of restraint in, in Brigham, in President Young. I would argue that he came as close to being a pacifist as any man on the 19th century Mormon stage. Uh, despite all his strong rhetoric and his, his uh, legendary language, um, he normally would pull back and he normally would um, avoid war. That's one of the things we're going to talk about tonight. Mm. Uh, and that is um, this grand scheme that he had of avoiding war, which was one of the great sagas of Mormon history, where he evacuates all the northern settlements of, of, of Utah in what was called the Great Move South. 30,000 people took to the trail, and it was his way of avoiding war uh, when he thought war, a war was uh, close at hand. And that's very, these issues are very contemporary, aren't they? 
uh, aggression versus restraint would you know do you, you go it. to war yeah, absolutely and and the reasons you know protection uh, or is it better to to pull back that is exactly what i'm trying to get at these are human values that extend beyond utah they extend beyond the 19th century they are universals and i think in writing our history we need to get some of those universals in the narrative. And we'll, uh, we'll uh, end here. We're, we're just about out of time. I want to give uh, Brad Cole a chance to give us the particulars on the, on the lecture tonight. Okay, thanks, uh, Tom, and thanks, Ron, for doing the interviews. And uh, tonight's uh, 20th Annual Mormon History Lecture is at the LDS Logan Tabernacle in downtown Logan, 7 p.m. It's free to the public. Uh, one of our featured events is a uh, student writing competition. Students that uh, college students that show up at the uh, lecture, take notes, uh, get an entry form, uh, can submit a 2,500-word nonfiction reflective essay on the lecture, and are eligible for uh, uh, prizes of a thousand dollars for first prize, uh, five hundred for second, and two fifty for third prize. And we've had great success with this competition. We're excited to see people tonight. So tonight at the Logan LDS Tabernacle, 7 o'clock, the 20th annual Leonard J. uh, Arrington Mormon History Lecture, Ronald Walker. It will be given the talk titled Heroes and Hero Worship, Brigham Young and the Utah War. And we've had with us in studio Brad Cole, Associate Dean of Special Collections and Archives at USU. Thanks for coming in, Brad. Hey, thank you. And uh, Ronald Walker, thanks for being our guest for the hour. Thanks. Gee, it's been fun. Thank you for having me. Tomorrow on the program, we will have a science-related question or a science-related topic. And on Monday, my guest will be Salt Lake City Police Chief Chris Burbank talking about Ferguson, Missouri and other related policing issues. Hope you'll join us for those programs. Coming up top of the hour is The Zesty Garden with Brian Earle. Thanks for listening. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Chamber Music Society of Logan, opening their season with the Brentano Quartet, with music by Mozart, Bartok, and Schubert, Tuesday, October 7th, 7.30, at the USU Performance Hall. Information is at cmslogan.org. And Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan, open for breakfast Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m., offering a selection of French pastries and a variety of sweet and savory menu items. Details at crumbbrothers.com. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. I'm Megan Van Frank. The United States has a long history of limiting immigration and managing migrants once they're here. This week, learn about a campaign to register non-citizen immigrants living in Utah. First this. The Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by the Utah Humanities Council with support from a We the People grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. Imagine you're a non-citizen living in Utah. When you open up your local newspaper after a long day at work, you find out that the federal government wants to register you as a potential threat to national security. According to the newspaper, you'll need to report to the nearest post office, where you'll complete a questionnaire and then be fingerprinted. At the post office, you're told that after a few weeks, you'll get a registration card in the mail, and your fingerprints will be sent to the FBI. This may sound like a modern-day plan to root out anti-American terrorists, but it's not. 
The plan was actually part of the Alien Registration Act of 1940, in which more than three million people were expected to register with the government between August and December of that year. The plan was actually part of the Alien Registration Act of 1940, in which more than three million people were expected to register with the government between August and December of that year. So-called loyal aliens were assured that their information would be kept secret, and that the only people who need fear were criminals and spies. The United States was still a year away from entering World War II, but many politicians were already jumpy about what they believed were potential threats coming from foreign-born immigrants. Bingham Canyon was the Utah Center for the registration effort. All non-citizens, 14 years old and up, were required to register in person. They were obliged to give details about their foreign military service, how they entered the country, what their occupation was, and the clubs they belonged to. They were also to provide a list of their relatives living in the United States. Those who ignored the government's order faced a thousand-dollar fine and six months in jail. Only two cases were prosecuted under the Alien Registration Act during World War II. In later years, however, the law was used to silence communists, socialists, and fascists. In 1957, the U.S. Supreme Court declared that some of its provisions were unconstitutional, but the law is still on the books. Sources and past episodes of the Beehive Archive may be found at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of the Utah Humanities Council, I'm Megan Van Frank. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. 